Hey guys, before diving into the episode, as we're pro-innovation medical education, we'd like to shout out something that'll take your suturing skills to another level. Whether you want to be a surgeon, work in ED or be a medic, you will one day face a wound that'll require closing. My Suture is an all-in-one high-fidelity suture practice kit and a digital learning platform that gives you direct access to surgical advice and training. The idea is that you can learn to suture anytime, anywhere. Search it up at mysuture.com and invest in your ability to suture. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have with us another amazing guest. We have with us Dr. Imran Qureshi, who is a consultant microbiologist at Croydon University Hospital. But before he did microbiology, he was a GP trainee, then a core surgical trainee. And before even doing medicine, he studied computer science. He has a massive passion for patient safety, for tech, for coding, and is also the co-founder of CodeMed. He has many, many accolades and achievements, which I can't list here. Um, but it's a massive pleasure to have you on the show today, Imran. How are you? Thank you so much. Thank you. It's such, it's such a pleasure to be here and to speak to both of you and to share my slightly weird journey, which hopefully <laughs> will resonate with other people and, and give them some ideas. So yeah, hopefully no. that can help. So I was, before we hit record, we were talking about, I kept noticing your tweets and your feeds and it wasn't like the conventional consultant tweets. It was everything outside of it and change and innovation and code. And, you know, you were recently one of the NHS clinical entrepreneurs. So I thought it'd be nice to kind of share your journey. Mm. The scrubbed in fashion is we take it all the way to the very beginning. Sure. Um, so tell us when you decided or if there was a particular moment when you thought, when I grow up or I want to pursue the career of medicine or the computer yeah. science part, because I know it's a bit... Yeah, take us through your journey from the start. Oh, wow. It's <laughs> very hard. It's not that long ago. Come on. <laughs> uh, well, I think I, I didn't ever know that I wanted to do either of those things, if I'm honest. What I suppose I always want, what I always thought that I was going to do was architecture. Um, there's, I mean, in my immediate family, there's no medics at all. I'm actually the first medic. Uh, my father is a pharmacist, retired now. Uh, but that was my closest link to healthcare. And my father was a community pharmacist, so not quite the same thing either. So it, it wasn't as glamorous uh, as, as people might imagine. And certainly I used to work in his pharmacy when I was younger in my holidays. I'm sure my father just wanted somebody on the cheap. <laughs> That's what I was there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I wasn't particularly inspired by that at all. And it wasn't until I did my A-levels when I started thinking, what would I want to do? And the, the, the really weird thing is actually my natural passion and inclination was never towards math and science. I mean, I was reasonably, you know, like I was reasonably okay at it. I wasn't anything special. But my natural passion really was in languages. So I studied Latin, Greek, Italian, French oh, wow. at school. Oh, wow. So yeah, and my, in fact, my I remember when I picked my A-levels, which were maths, chemistry, Chemistry, biology, and French. The, the the head of languages wrote to my parents and said, "What is your son doing these slightly weird A levels for? You know, <laughs> like, why isn't he doing you know Latin, Greek, and going to Oxford to study classics? Which actually is sort of still my dream in some ways to go and do that at some point." Mm. Um, mm. But uh, my parents sort of wrote back saying, "It's got nothing to do with us. He made his own choices." And I really did it as a pragmatic thing was I just thought, what am I going to do with languages? And now I feel like an idiot because obviously I could have done anything. But you don't realize when you're 16 or 17 what you can achieve. Yeah, that's true. So I, I sort of um, and, and I, I didn't really even know what I was going to do with that. So I didn't get very good A-levels, which was slightly unfortunate. Um, it's just the way that mm. life panned out. Um, and I resat my year. It didn't do much better, if I'm honest with you. Um, it was still a disaster. <laughs> So then I thought, well, what am I going to do? And um, I have a twin brother um, who basically, he was uh, not quite in the similar sort of situation to me, but he decided that he wanted to do computer science because we were both slightly, or we thought of ourselves as techie, but neither of us actually were, Mm. if I'm honest. Um, So (laughs) we we both decided that this meant we must study computer science. So he went to King's Mm. College to study computer right. science and and yeah, shout yeah. Out yeah. shout out kings <laughs> yeah where you guys are from and uh, and um and i went to queen mary's uh, to study computer science um but we were in and out of those unis all the time in sort mm. of the late 90s early 2000s uh, that will tell you how old we are um <laughs> so uh, so yeah that we we sort of did that and sort of halfway during my computer science career which actually i quite liked it was it was fun i enjoyed it and um i really got into my programming and coding uh, what I realized was that I wanted something else f- 
from from life. The other thing was the IT market, even at that time, was exceedingly saturated. Like people in mm-hmm. like the years above me were really finding it tough to get jobs, and and they were they were great people, like really good computer scientists. So I was like, man, you know, I'm not necessarily feeling a career in this this area, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and I I really want to work with people. So then I thought, okay, let me apply for medicine. So what happened was uh, I applied in my second year of my degree of computer science degree. So they said, yeah, you can, you can, they, they offered me a place at St. George's. Uh, Queen Mary's sadly did not offer me a place, which I was rather annoyed oh. about, but you know, uh, <laughs> that's life, isn't it? So uh, they said, if you get two one in your degree, you can come, you can come along and, and study medicine, which was great. Um, and I was actually born in St. George's, so it was, it was no, no bad deal. Um, mm. So I ended up getting a place and studied medicine at St. George's which was a different experience. Yeah, completely. So did you finish your computer science degree and then straight into med school mm. rather than kind of going yeah. into profession itself? Yeah, exactly. I didn't work in, I mean, for some bizarre reason, before I found out my results, I was applying to sort of various investment banks and other places where, mm. which was mm. the normal sort of done thing at the time to do that stuff like that. But I, I got my results and then I just said, fine, I'm going to go and start. So yeah. yeah. And what was medical school like for you when you went from sort of studying computer science and now you're in a completely different, different world. world and yeah. lectures and the style of learning? I hate it. And the it. people. I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely loathed it. I was just like, man, this is like being back in A-levels. Because, you you know, med school is such a bizarre environment. You, 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 I went back to having these cliques and groups, which, don't, mm, which, didn't, yeah. which didn't exist in computer science at all. We were like everybody was mates with everybody and we all got on and it was really nice and it was a very open sort of environment and I went back to feeling like I'm in a small ethnic group again and Mm -hmm. you know other people other ethnicities don't talk to each other if you don't play a sport I mean it was back in that really bizarre clique mode and I was like I don't like this at all so I I didn't really engage certainly with my first two years I mean I did all my work and everything that I needed to Mm. but I was just not you know whilst I was quite social and quite active um, in my first degree I really wasn't in my second degree and it was hard I found it difficult and I remember turning up to my first clinical placement and my 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 placement partner she's now in Australia actually um but she she said to me she goes who are you like (laughs) she goes I've never seen you before and I was like there's a good reason for that (laughs) uh, but yeah obviously I I I very diligently uh and I'm not just saying this for the record it is the truth I very diligently attended my clinical years because obviously Mm. you know you can't really go ahead without no, doing absolutely. that and uh, and yeah the rest is sort of a little bit of history and you know yeah. managed to I, I enjoyed my clinical years I must say I, I did enjoy those mm. because it was very practical it was on placement and you know people could get to know you for who you were rather than assuming yeah. they thought they knew who you were in that sense so yeah. Uh, so yeah it was, it was good why do you think that that sort of clique environment exists so Myself and Abdul, we're very pro-collaboration. So we, we talk about students getting together to revise together, learn together, publish together, do projects together, rather than sort of, I'm not going to help you because I want to get in front of you and yeah. that sort of environment. Yeah. It still exists to an, a certain ex- extent, but you said that it didn't exist in the sort of computer science cohort. What's the difference in personality types and why do you think it exists? I mean, it's a good question. And I think it's because... You know, when you're applying to medicine straight out of sort of A-levels and stuff, I mean, people have are so focused. You know, you're mm. so focused on getting grades, on getting your work experience and making sure you've done Duke of Edinburgh and all this, all this nonsense that you have to do at the same time, you know, <laughs> that people feel that makes somebody a good medic, you know, this type of thing. And I think you lack... And I'm not, I'm not, this isn't, I'm making a very wide generalization, obviously, and I'm doing it based on my own anecdotal experience. Yeah. But you, I, I just feel that people end up lacking some sort of wider perspective of life, you know, yeah. which, which, other, which other professions don't seem to suffer from. Because I remember, you know, when I was in my first degree, I, I had friends from, you know, who were studying French, who were studying computer science, mm. who were studying medicine, who were studying yeah. geography, history. I mean, it was, it was such a nice melting pot. I'm not just talking about the people, obviously, in my department. So my department was just mm, computer yeah. science. But it, it was such a, a varied group of people. And, and I remember whenever the medics used to walk in, you know, every like the whole atmosphere just changed. Like, oh, the medics yeah. just walked in. You know, that type of <laughs> the thing. The medics walked in. Yeah, it, it was just bizarre because you, you you would know them because they were a little bit stuck up and a little bit, you know, that type of thing. And uh, not to say that I had really, really great friends from the medical community in Queen Mary's as well. Yeah, not to say yeah. that I didn't. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a 
but I think it's because there's so much pressure and focus yeah. Uh, yeah. On, on becoming a medic that th- those of us who came in the other way, so to speak, we, d- we probably didn't suffer from that as much. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think that's that's probably what it is. And people are still sort of still in A-level zone, aren't they? Especially those people yeah. who come from, and, and let's be honest, lots of people come from private schools where, where this type mm. of mentality mm. exists. And I, I went to a private school where this mentality existed. Mm. So I think people find it difficult to shake that really quickly yeah so i think that's probably largely what it is and if you study another degree you very quickly come down to earth and say oh there's normal people everywhere who you know they (laughs) they play video games and go out and do biking and you know whatever else whatever random things people of that age do now so you know no definitely absolutely it is always interesting to kind of contrast how medics are in comparison to other industries so we kind of talked about you going from med school kind of finding your feet and enjoying clinical years tell us about foundation training um where you did it how was that yeah so foundation training i started where i became ended up being becoming consultants at croydon university hospital oh, so I, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean i i live i live like five minutes you know five minutes from me so there was it was uh, at that time the application system was it was just one sheet of paper which said tell us something about teamwork leadership skills what is your first choice you know and i got my first oh, choice wow. for it. yeah it was oh, it was really? it wasn't like it is now with all these deciles and centiles and yeah. says whatever nonsense you guys have to put up with <laughs> so it was it was much more straightforward and uh yeah so i i, I got my first choice uh i absolutely it was my favorite year of being a junior doctor my my f1 year uh i was oh, wow. very very well supported by my foundation my foundation program director her name and she's very prolific on twitter stella vig you you may have heard of her she's a vascular yes. surgeon so stella was my foundation oh, okay. director and she was an absolute legend and still is i say was is still a legend uh, and we work very mm. closely together now um so yeah I, I really loved it and i loved the people i worked with as well we've lots of us have kept in touch you know we still do stuff together so many years on so it was great um and i then moved to f2 which was st peter's in chertsey which actually is like my second home. Uh, I, I was really there for about seven years in total. So I, mm. well, I'll explain how that worked out. So I did F2 uh, mm. and F2 was great. Really had a really lovely time, really good people. And um, then I had, obviously had to make this career choice. And uh, as I was telling you before we started sort of speaking, uh, I wanted to do surgery. And what's really funny is that when Stella asked me when I was in F1, she goes, oh, Ron, what do you want to do? I said, oh, I want to do surgery. And she goes, oh, you're not a surgeon, she said to me. <laughs> you know, she goes, I see you as this, like, this lovely pediatrician or something like that. You know? And I was like, man, I hated peds when I was in med school, so I don't know about that. <laughs> so, uh, so I said, okay. I said, well, we'll see, we'll see. So uh, I, I, I sort of really, uh, I did any general surgery and GP for my F2 career. And I love general surgery. I absolutely loved it. And one of my mm. trainers was the... Uh, was the um was the head of school for kss actually really nice guy so he also inspired me quite a lot so i was going to apply and my wife sort of stuck her foot in the middle and she goes well i'm never going to see you if you become a surgeon so why don't you just do general practice and i was like well that's not really a good reason to do general practice you know and and i'm I'm not one of those people who believes that people should do general practice because it's uh it's it's a quote unquote soft option i think it's a very important part of the medical community and i think people should do it for the right reasons but that's a separate discussion entirely Mm. so um i ended up doing it for the wrong reasons and um i got a training job in kss and um i was based at frimley and i started off in a gp practice in farnham lovely people really really nice people um you know i had no complaints against the practice or the people they were lovely but uh i just didn't like it I, i i mean i just felt you know, I felt very trapped, I think is the word. I'm, I, mm. you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm like the world's greatest socialite either, but I don't like being stuck to a room with four walls and, mm. you know, and yeah. I, I found the culture hard. I mean, I remember, I mean, there was, there was, there were quite a few times that these things sort of happened, but I remember this poor woman who came in with her four kids uh, to see me and she, and she goes, my appointments are only for one kid, but actually they're all on well. Could, would you mind seeing all of them? Otherwise I'd have to rebook. And this whole culture of, you know, no, I'm sorry, it's just 10 minutes and you have to go. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I just couldn't operate like that. So I see all, I saw all her kids. And this happened quite a few times. It's not like it happened once or twice. And mm. and that whole, I mean, uh, and again, this isn't a slight on GPs. It's not really their fault. I mean, this comes from external pressures. But, you know, that whole mentality didn't sit well. I didn't like being so isolated. I, I sort of didn't like knowing a little bit about everything and 
not much about one thing in particular. It's not the type of person that I am. I think it suits other people mm. really well. It didn't suit me at all. And I just felt like anything which was remotely interesting, I sort of was pawning off to somebody else who was quote unquote the specialist. And I felt yeah. incomplete probably is a better the better word mm. for it in that sense. So and my wife sort of realized within a month and a half of me being there that I was utterly miserable. Um, yeah. And uh, what were you doing? Just sulking when you came home? I don't know. She just. I mean, we didn't have kids at that point, and I think she just thought, "Man, what is this dude doing?" You know, he's like, not engaging or anything. And uh, I mean, I suppose it was like a, an hour and a half drive, you know, or two hours drive every day. So maybe I was just tired. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. But she yeah. basically said, uh, "All right, fine. Leave GP if you want to, and do what you like." You know, um, mm. and not that begrudgingly. Fortunately, I was like. You're the best wife in the world, thank you. Uh, yeah. So then I managed to find I managed to find a leftover job in KSS that hadn't been taken a training uh, a training job. So I applied for it and got it and went back to St Peter's where I did my F two. So I'd only left for like a month and a half or two months and I was back. <laughs> and um, I must say that I absolutely loved it. I really enjoyed it. I really mm. really enjoyed it. I thought it was um, it was great. Uh, now this is where. The, the story becomes a little bit complicated. <laughs> uh, not that it's not yeah. already complicated. Uh, I I basically um, when I was uh, an F two, I'd uh, I, I we had our mandatory teaching sessions as you do in ours, were like three hours long. And um, uh, our pharmacist at the time, short Palestinian man, his name was Hani, and one of my really really close mates now. But uh, he gave us a lecture mm. uh, about gentamicin. You know, you know, my yeah. my whole journey really starts with an antibiotic. It's so weird, um, and he was basically standing there saying, "Oh, you doctors are terrible. You don't prescribe gentamicin properly. There's toxicity yeah. and datexes and all this sort of thing." And I was like, "Man, yeah. this guy's got his knickers in a twist for some reason." You know, so I was just yeah. like, "Okay, okay." And actually, I was, I was, I was genuinely appalled about what he, uh, you know by what he was saying. And, you know, I'm so gutless because. I remember as an F1, I hated prescribing gentum. I hated it, you know. Yeah, Every time yeah, I took to go, calculate. Yeah, <laughs> anytime I had to go anywhere near, I was like, man, ideal body weight, yeah. corrected body weight, creatinine clearance is too much. And then when <laughs> I became an F2, it was one of those jobs that I really just did delegate. I'm not I'm not good at delegating sort of nonsense to other people, but I, I had four F1s and they were prescribing gentamicin. <laughs> I, was, I was not prescribing it. So uh, so what happened was, I, but actually I was so appalled that I said to, I emailed Hanny and I said, can we just sit down and I just want to chat with you about, you know, why this is such a problem? Because he said he was receiving 60 to 70 datixes a month about gentamicin. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was nuts. You know, yeah. I was like, this is just crazy. So um, so I sat down with him on Surgical HDU and we spent about 45 minutes and I said, just take me through this process. Help me to understand why this is so difficult for everybody. And I, I basically, I remember sitting down there and I actually just drew a process map of, of all the steps that it took to prescribe gentamicin. I realized there were 17 steps to prescribe wow. gentamicin right. with three very complicated mathematical equations in the middle and I said come on man this is a losing belt I said you know I said we're stretched at the best of times can you imagine that somebody has got like 20 patients to see at night and you know they have to prescribe gentle I mean it will take them better part five minutes to do it properly so he goes mm -hmm. yeah but you know what else can we do I said well let me have a think about it so this is where my computer science brain sort of kicked in. I was going to say, saying, amazing. Yeah. 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 Mapping yeah. out 17 processes, like, nah. <laughs> yeah, so, so I was like, come on, we, we, we have to be able to simplify this. So I basically spent the next week, much to my wife's irritation, coding what was the first gentamicin calculator, or the first sort of complete gentamicin mm. calculator. There's one, I think, that just pipped me, but it was, it was a slightly shortened version. Of, I think it was done by Nottingham. And mm. um, yeah, I basically wrote it and... Um, we trialed it and it was really successful, obviously. So, you know, it, it, it took out all the human factors and all the problems that are associated with prescribing sort of a very complicated antibiotic. And, you know, all you did was you just typed in the patient's details, you press calculate, it tells you all the rest of it would do all the renal function. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I must say it wasn't that amazing. I feel like a bit of a fraud for milking that a little bit, but, you know, it is what it yeah. is. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's that typical thing. Isn't no, but it's healthcare? painful. Huh? It's, it's painful. Like uh, yeah. it's prescribing gentamicin, yeah. amicacin, all of that jazz it's painful as a doctor to do so it is amazing to have a just a calculator that does it <laughs> well, well you know it's 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 really funny because at the time my, my my twin brother said to me he goes ah seems pretty good what you did yeah and i was like come on man you know as well as i do this code is not particularly difficult you know like so i, I was going to say during that time were you still actively coding doing like tech projects or whatnot or did you completely because 
what was you on, know? on and off on and off and not not, not so with any no not with any regularity i must say but that was after about two or three years that's the first time i did like a what i would say is a slightly significant project which i hadn't done for a while and mm. uh yeah so so what happened was you know people and this is the problem with healthcare in general when they find a specialist in a, in a non-medical sense you know and they mm. don't understand too much about it you know they'll just think it's like the world's best thing and it sort of became the world's best thing. And I was like, and I remember saying multiple times to multiple people, it's not really that big a deal. It's really a small piece of code. It's just not quite straightforward. But people were quite taken with it, and obviously because it had really good results. It had really good outcomes, yeah. uh, and that probably was the most important thing. So the two other hospitals bought it from me, which I didn't, I wasn't selling it. I had no intention <laughs> of selling it. But the, the, the antimicrobial, so Hani basically went around telling, told the world, you know, that, oh, we've got this gentamicin yeah. calculator. It's awesome. Sales. So, so, so the antibiotic sort of pharmacist from two other hospitals approached me and said, would you sell it to us? And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> they said, how much? And I was like, I don't know how much to sell it to you for. So I sell it. I ended up selling it for five grand to each of them. So I made, I made, yeah. I made 10 grand in the process, which was, which was nice. It was very, it was very, very welcome. Um, and actually, I know that Frimley Park is still using it still oh wow, wow. yeah still and so st peter's to be fair i don't know if basingstoke's mm. using theirs but um you know they're still being used by two hospitals so that's nice it has stood the test of time um so uh yeah so that's basically what happened and after that i i sort of felt like um this this improvement stuff is really good and to be fair i had done two improvement projects as an f1 but quality improvement didn't exist as a concept when mm. we were junior doctors, we didn't know this term mm. quality improvement. So I just called them making things better, basically. Yeah. So I sort of was floundering a little bit, not really knowing sort of what to do. And I, um, I came across this conference, which is the International Forum on Quality and Safety in Healthcare, which is run by the BMJ, excuse me, and the, and the IHI, which is the, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement in the United States really big organization uh, it was mm. was run at the time by a chap called don berwick you might have heard of he, he wrote the, the berwick report for one of our governments um so i went to this conference in berlin it was at the time in mm. 2009 it was and they basically introduced me to systems variability human factors all of the stuff that you're just never taught at med school or anybody else teaches you mm. and i was like wow this is this is amazing like people are genuinely making change like whenever they see it that like i felt really empowered i felt like this is this is the stuff man this is the stuff that really resonates with me because it's all yeah. about improvement so i remember uh seeing in my hotel uh the excelsior hotel it was very very plush uh excelsior hotel, it wasn't it wasn't really <laughs> in berlin uh, it was nice enough and um i thought you know what, what i mean i'd been so inspired by watching what other people were doing that i thought what kind of change can we as junior doctors make uh sort of practically and I thought, why, mm -hmm. why don't we start doing our own quality improvement project? So I, I, mm. I coined this organization, this, this name DAPS. So it was, it's an acronym for Doctors Advancing Patient Safety. It is the yeah. worst name in the world. And I've kicked myself so many times afterwards. <laughs> but it is what it is. It was called DAPS. And um, I went back to my hospital, so to St. Peter's, and I, and I sort of had a meeting with the medical director, who's a legend, um, Mike Baxter, and Andrew, Andrew Lyles, who's the chief exec. And I said, guys, I really want to run this quality improvement program get the junior doctors on board and get people doing this stuff is it okay and they were really supportive really helpful mm. so then yeah i basically started a, a, a program for quality improvement and lots of people got involved we did quite a few projects really good outcomes and it really took off in mm. a really big way and was very very well supported by the hospital after that so um uh yeah that sort of turned into a completely different beast over the next sort of six mm. or seven mm. years even though it was like a a voluntary organization we ended up running which we still do actually we haven't stopped doing it. it's only because of covid we've had to stop it but we do an annual innovation summer school we held mm. sort of annual conferences to get junior doctors to present quality improvement work we've done two improvement trips to pakistan to work with junior doctors there to do quality improvement i mean we've done loads of stuff you know it's been really really mm. good and off, off a zero budget really really with, yeah. with sort of other people helping and funding and stuff so that's been mm. a labor of love and a lot of work which has been great um, and that sort yeah. of introduced me to that whole side of quality improvement. So I became an, an innovation fellow with, at the time, there was something called the NHS Institute for Innovation Improvement. So I became uh, their, their fellow and used to attend sort of their sessions and stuff and really got, became quite sort of involved with quality improvement, patient safety. Um, mm -hmm. So then let me get back to where the story was. Okay, so um, I've, I've now I've sort of 
sort of halfway through my surgical training and I remember that even though I loved surgery it wasn't that I didn't like it I loved it I just didn't like the ethos behind it there was something that mm. really bothered me I'll tell you the, mm. the very first thing that I was told when I walked into my surgical induction by by I I won't say the name of the person because I remember it and I won't I won't uh, abuse her in public but uh she she basically said to me she goes Imran let me give you one piece of advice she goes surgery is all about you and she used a profanity in everybody else that's what she said that, oh, that was the first piece yeah. of advice I was like I don't really operate like that it's, <laughs> not, it's not really my style you know to do stuff like yeah. that and um, I think it showed actually a lot because even when I did urology as a rotation which is actually what I ended up wanting to do uh, urology mm. um, my bosses used to say to me Imran you're never in theatre and I said well that's because I'm on call one in two so every other day I was on call. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Come on, man. I used to, I worked in the area where I, 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 I did 28 I days say, straight. That's the area. I, I worked yeah. 28 days straight without a break once, you know, that was, uh, oh, can, yeah, exactly. So how, how can we forget? You're probably looking at us and like, oh, look at these guys. Look at these privileged oh, yeah, juniors. Uh, the word lightweight just goes through my mind all the time. <laughs> no, no, uh, just I remember like, you know, like, <laughs> you used to hear stories like, yeah, I was so constipated. <laughs> so, like working three four days in a row, I got hemorrhoids and I had surgery. I came back into work. Like, you know, like the crazy. As guys, when it's five o'clock, it's like no, yeah. <laughs> that's it. So um, yeah, all right. Yeah, times have changed, but yeah, we were. I was on call one and two, so they would say to me, "They come to theatre." I said, "Okay, if I come to theatre, who's going to hold the on call bleep? Who's going to go and see the pile and the the stone in 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 and yeah. Oh, they said they can wait, and I was like, "No, no, no, actually, they can't. No, that really can't wait. I would much rather that mm. I was happy that those people were all sorted. Then I'm happy to come to theatre, and I did go to theatre, but not as much as I could have. Mm. But I, I genuinely liked it. I, I loved, especially when I did vascular. I really loved vascular. Just could not become mm. a vascular surgeon. Loved orthopedics." I, I should have actually thought about becoming an orthopedic surgeon, but I didn't at the time. Um, but, I, but I really did like it. Um, but in mm. the end, what I found was that my my whole patient safety quality improvement life was just taking over in a massive way. It really was yeah. just blossoming into something that I had never quite expected. Because there, you have to remember, there weren't that many people doing it in the UK at the time. And I'd set up a whole mm. junior doctor program. It was mm. going from strength to strength. There was so much going on. I felt like this was really the part of me that needed to to move and to, to come into its own. And I felt like yeah. surgical training would really limit me in my potential. So what had happened was because of the gentamicin calculator, I'd been invited onto the antibiotic subcommittee. You know, can you imagine a surgeon sitting on an antibiotic subcommittee? But I was there <laughs> uh, and I got involved in audits and all sorts of things related to microbiology and not not consciously. I like it just sort of happened. And because Hani and I were good mates, I sort of did stuff with him and yeah. it ended up sort of becoming something when I started thinking of it as a career. And I was like, wow, you know, this seems fairly good. And look at you know, the, the consultant, Dr. Grundy, who it was at the time, Clive Grundy, who was one of the reasons I became a microbiologist. Like, it, such a lovely man, such a lovely man and really good at giving advice. And I thought, ah, I could do this all day. I can sit in the <laughs> office and, you know, pick up a phone and say, you know, give Tazacin. You know, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, yeah in, my, in my naivety, I thought that's what microbiology training was going to be. And it, it wasn't quite, but, you know, that's another story. Uh, so, so I ended up essentially leaving surgical training and applying for micro with not much thought if I'm quite honest about what I was going to do if I got it mm. uh, other than accept a job but um so I applied and I I <laughs> I got a job which I couldn't <laughs> I just couldn't believe honestly I was in a room with people who had done PhDs masters diplomas and you know microbiology infectious diseases and here was me the surgical trainee with barely i'd only done four months of medicine before that as an f1 you know but you but you yeah. had a gentamicin calculator i don't know what it was if i'm honest but you know I, I, I remember the the ASCII stations the the, the the you know for my reg post i remember the station so i remember all three of them but the the one that stood out the most because it was such a disaster i mean such you cannot imagine what a disaster that was it was a, it was a station on meningitis okay yeah. i have never treated meningitis in my life okay i'm a surgeon essentially you know the whole of my life yeah you know so they said what antibiotics would you give and i just went benzoyl penicillin <laughs> you know oh. well exactly because i remembered somewhere in, in my meager brain that gps give benzoyl penicillin as a first yeah. for meningitis so i just blurted that out and then the three consultants saying they looked at me like i was like the world's biggest idiot and <laughs> said would you like to give anything else and i was like Rifampicin. <laughs> I know. I don't know what was. I just. I, you know. I just thought 
this is it. This is my. This is the whole thing over. And yeah. uh, and then they said, here's a CSF. Can you interpret it? Never done an LP. Never seen a CSF. You know, I was like, I I'm sorry. I don't know what this is. <laughs> and but what happened was at the end of my and this is something that I, this is a story I tell lots of people about because I think it's important. At the mm. end of the interview, they sent everybody else home apart from me. And there's a good 20 of us, I think, there for 20 or 30 of us there from the interview. Everybody was asked to go home except me. And I had the, the largest portfolio by far. It was something like that thick. You know, it was, it was, it's massive. It, obviously, nothing microbiology related in it or very little. Yeah. yeah. Other than things like a gentamicin calculator in one audit, I think I'd done. But it had lots of my quality improvement work, patient safety work, all of this stuff, which was, I, I imagine, fairly unique to me. And they said, mm. we need another half an hour to go through your portfolio. So they did. I just sat there literally for half an hour while they went through my portfolio and handed it to me and said, you know, you can go. And because that because of that one station, the other two stations, to be fair, were fine. But that station, I just messed up so badly. I thought, nobody's going to give me a job, man. I don't even yeah. have treat meningitis. Come on, let's be, let's be honest. And when I got my number, I was like, oh, my God, like run through number in London. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy, you know. And um, so I was very grateful, obviously. Um, and I took Amazing. up the post. Um, but again, I, I think this is I think everybody obsesses about doing so much related to the specialty that they forget mm -hmm. that now, you know, especially now we're looking for holistic people. We're not looking for the best surgeon in the world or the best microbiologist, or the best cardiologist. We're looking for somebody who brings something else. I mean, I know because I sit in consultant interviews now that, you know, you know what are you as a person going to add to us you know there's there's three other people applying to be a surgeon here you know what makes you different and i think that's yeah really what helped me when i was there mm -hmm. at that time so i think it's important and i think people miss out on that so yeah throughout your yeah sorry, sort of throughout your journey there's something that you display from going from computer science to medicine to gp training to cst to microbiology and that's the being open to the idea of change and being open to the idea of experiencing it before moving on were there any barriers at any any of those change points where you thought because a lot of people do nowadays feel like all right if i start cst i better see it through to the end if i start medical training i better see it through to the end or i'm a, I'm, I'm a chicken or whatever um i just want to talk, talk through your sort of processes of sort of making those decisions yeah it's a good question actually um and again, this is and 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 I I tend I t I'm, I'm a foundation program director, so I ended up giving lots of career advice at the moment. But but the people mm. ask for it, I give it. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think I always say the same thing to people. I'm like, you know, you have to figure out what it is that you want. You know, it mm. not what other people want for you or what you think might be good for you. What do you actually tangibly want from life? You know, do you want a career? Do you want a mm. career and a life, or do you want a life? Because those things all bring very, very different choices. And I think the one thing that I did uh, was I was always very authentic with myself. You know, I, you know, it's not like I hadn't moved before from one degree to another and experienced something different. I felt that I needed to be able to do what I'm going to be able to deliver the best in, or that's going to yeah it's going to show me as the most authentic part of myself i didn't want to be trapped in something where i'd be mm. cursing being in something whilst at the same yeah. time trying to be something else and that that's never about who i am and it's still not about who i am i'm i'm always willing to to change and to move if if, if that needs if, if 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 that's the case yeah. um and i think you know it's when people aren't authentic with themselves. It's when they when they feel that the system's going to eat them up and spit, you know, and chew, chew them up alive. That's that's where they get scared. They're like, but if I mm. if I don't do this, then my pay scale is going to go down, or yeah, this is going to happen, or you know, I can't get married at this time, or uh, you know, what about this or what about that? I mean, people worry about all of these things a lot. I generally am quite pragmatic about those things. I'm like, life comes together somehow, but you mm. know, you need to be the best version of yourself that you can. Otherwise, how are you ever going to survive in life? You know, if you yeah. cannot be authentic with yourself, how can you be authentic with life? And I think that's that's always my position. That's the reason that I've been fairly happy to switch because I'm like, okay, this isn't this isn't working for me. And if it's not working Amazing. now, it's not gonna work in ten years' time. It's not gonna work in twenty years' mm. time. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hate myself, you know, type of thing. And it's really funny. I I, I sort of apply this thing to life in general. And um as you may realize, um I'm I'm 
Pakistani origin. So I come from mm-hmm. a generation where our parents were very, they wanted to be very involved in who we got married to. And I remember mm. when my mother said to me, she, I was 20, you know, and she said to me, she goes, yeah. she goes, oh, there's, you know, I'm looking for you to get married and stuff, mm. you know. And I was like, I sat her down. I said, mom, let me give you some advice. Okay? <laughs> I, said, I said, I did. And I said, if you pick somebody for me and I don't end up liking that person, I'm going to brain you for the rest of my life. Yeah, I said if I, I said if I pick that person and it doesn't work out, I've only got myself to blame. And she goes, mm. "That's a really good point." She goes, "Make your own decision." So yeah. you know, and it's again, it's it's part of being authentic. I I want to do that thing which, you know, is is going to be the best that I'm going to offer. I'm going to offer the mm. best in you know, yeah. and you know, and I've been married for I think sixteen years now, and it's it's still working somehow. Amazing. I don't I don't. <laughs> my wife is the most patient person on the whole earth, and props to her for this whole journey. If I'm quite honest, yeah, because we were married when we when I was a medical student, so she's been on this whole oh, road, wow. yeah, oh, wow. yeah. She's been on this whole wow. road with me the whole time. So you know, really, really, she's uh, she's she's the thing that's kept me together and 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 allowed me to do all of these things. Really, it's really yeah. props to her. So so yeah, again, you know, this this issue of being authentic, I think, is the most important thing. For me, and yeah. this is the thing that I I champion for other people as well. Like, you know, one of my one of my F ones from last year, uh, she went through a really bless her. She went through a really really difficult time, and I, I probably shouldn't talk mm. about what happened to her in particular. Mm. But she is at another hospital this year, and she she messaged me. She goes, "Yeah, can I come and talk to you?" And I said, "Yeah, of course you can." She goes, "I've got nobody here mm. that I can talk to, so can I come and talk to you about career stuff?" And she came, and she, you know, she was quite upset about what was going on, and that she wasn't progressing and stuff like that. I said, "Come on, man!" I said, "I said, look, you're 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 only twenty five or twenty six or whatever it is." I said, "You've got the whole of your life in front of you." I said, "Why are you worrying mm. about these things now?" I said, "What is it that really makes you happy?" And she goes, "If I'm honest, cooking makes me happy." And I said, "So why didn't you do something like that? Why didn't you get involved?" You know, I said, "There's that, yeah. there's you know, Rupi, you know, Rupi was one of the previous yeah. clinical entrepreneurs." I said, mm. "Look at what that dude's yeah. done." I said, "He's turned a passion into something which is yeah. really good for him." I said, "Why don't you do this?" <laughs> amazing so Mm. i said i said come on be authentic with yourself do something which is going to make you happy and i'm not saying give up your career i'm not saying that at Mm. all but what stops you from from really investing in your passions and that's 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 again that's that i'm trying to bring people back to their own authenticity Mm. you know don't give up who you are because who you are is is who you are and if you give that up then what's left you know really yeah we discussed this um last week with dr abdullah as well where he talked about the the pressure of um, society on us you know so he talked about his university sort of saying there was two there was only two categories of medics there was surgeons and there was failed surgeons <laughs> and i think a lot of us I'm a, fail uh, at med sc- <laughs> a lot of us at med school we do live through that perception where we think okay what does society value the highest as i have to become that when it doesn't fit our mold our personality traits what we like um, and I think you're right. You just have to be authentic. Dr. Abdullah is doing amazing now. And he, he talks about his journey, how in theatre, he just realised one day, nope, I don't want to be in this room anymore. <laughs> um, so really, really resonate with that piece of advice about being authentic to who you are. Yeah. Definitely. And even yeah. one of our, one of our, I don't think it's, it's, it's private anymore. Mm. Excuse me, I'm not going to mention his name anyway, but one of our orthopaedic regis just left orthopaedic training, you know, um, mm. and he's quite senior. He's not junior he's not a junior reg he's a senior reg yeah yeah so because he felt this wasn't for him anymore you know and i think and i, and I remember we had quite a few conversations and i i mean he was going down that line anyway but i really supported him i said come on man i said that's you know don't be worried i said just as long as you're doing what's best for you as an individual and for your family mm. i said that's the most yeah. important thing i said everything else will follow and he's very entrepreneurial so i'm really you know he's coming to our coding course mm. next and stuff like that so i'm really trying to push him into Amazing. that area so i'm saying come yeah. on you know be the best of who you can be and and enjoy yeah. it you know that's the most important thing yeah, yeah. And, the, think- and the one important thing is I, I i think i can look back on all my things that i've done like I, I i don't think there's ever been a time that i didn't enjoy what i was doing and I, that's really important to me no, so, definitely amazing. And I think it's sound advice, and it's nice to hear from someone that is senior of kind of being comfortable with yourself, comfortable with your day to day job, comfortable with what you're doing and the and the information and stuff you're putting yeah. out. And and and, it, and it's inspiring that it works. The fact that you've gone from GP training to CST to being a microbiology consultant, and it's worked. Being authentic to yourself has worked. Mm. Um, that's really yeah. inspiring. I'm, I must say that it wasn't. It's not without its challenges at all. I mean, the thing is that uh, you know, people will always try and 
pigeonhole you into what they think you should be doing. Mm. So yeah. This happened to me a lot in my in my microbiology career, really. Uh, mm. I, I, like I said, I'm a passionate quality improvement person. And in mm. fact, I yeah. was the BMJ. It's really funny. Um, I don't, I'm sure you guys know about it, the NHS uh, Medical Directors Clinical, Clinical Fellows Scheme that exists. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking at one time, when I was, what year was I in? I was a first year reg, I think, thinking of doing that. And I phoned one of my friends who was one of the execs for the BMJ at the time um, because he had done it previously. And I just said to him, I said, come on, dude, what do you think? I'm really interested in this. He goes, oh, Imran, you don't want to do that. And I said, really? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, yeah, you don't want to do that. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I trust him, you know, he's, he's a good guy. So I, I didn't apply for it in the end. And a week later, he phones me and goes, how would you like to come work at the BMJ? And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'd love that. So so I did a, an out-of-program experience. I went and I became the first clinical lead for okay. quality. It was a new department the BMJ had set up. I designed an online platform with them to for people to do quality improvement projects, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. I set up a new journal, which is now essentially merged into BMJ Quality Open, uh, which is nice. Um, so I, I loved it. I loved my time at the BMJ. I really, really loved it. Um, but I think one of the problems is that when you get people who are not within the zone of, of thinking outside the box, or they've yeah. always trained in a situation where it's just the specialty the specialty is the most important thing and you must live and breathe and die in microbiology that type of thing which i wasn't of that ilk i'm not, I'm not trying to say that i wasn't interested in my specialty i'm i'm a consultant and now i'm interested now i look after patients with it now so it's not that i wasn't but i really had a strong penchant for those other things and I think it was other people just didn't understand this and they they no, took yeah. it personally some people took it really personally that you know it's um you know he's they almost took it as an insult, you know, yeah. that he's not he's not paying a hundred percent attention to microbiology. Yeah, like um, when I'd set the first part of my FRC path, you know, they didn't expect me to pass. You know, somebody mm. one of the other consultants told me they didn't expect me to pass. Uh, so I <laughs> wow. so I passed. Wow. I passed. Uh, <laughs> you know. And then um, I think they they probably expected me to pass the second part because I was a little bit more senior at the time and they felt that I wasn't a complete joker. So uh, I managed to pass that too, fortunately. But um, I mean, it took a lot of hard work. But I did I I did get a lot of abuse for that. And I think and I think this is another thing which is important for people to remember that you know it goes back to being authentic. For me, I wasn't about to give up what I found important in life just because mm. other people didn't like it. You know, I, I mean, I, I I was acknowledging what they were saying, and I remember one of my bosses sort of said he said Imran quality improvement is not going to put food on the table that's what he said to me and I was just like thank you for your contribution to my life <laughs> obviously I didn't say this to him but this is what I was yeah. thinking and you know I, I I sort of ignored him really um and yeah and despite all the headache I got I mean at one point they basically told me that I couldn't use my study leave to attend sort of conferences on quality improvement I, I was only allowed to use five days Everything mm -hmm. else, you could, I could, I mean, even if I wasted the rest of it, which I did because I never went to anything else, I wasn't allowed to use it. For, I mean, that's the level that it got to. It was, it was wow, quite toxic in, in that sense. I mean, I, I can understand where they came from. I can understand that mentality that they didn't, they didn't, they didn't see the bigger picture. It's not a direct criticism of them as people, but I, I yeah. think that they were very, you know, like when, when, uh, like a a pack of wolves is being attacked by something. Not that I was attacking anybody, but they felt threatened, and they sort of mm. all sort of congregate and you know snarl and get get a little bit upset. That's what it was because mm. they just didn't understand, you know, more than anything. And they're good. Yeah. They're good people. Um, I wouldn't say that they weren't yeah. good people individually. They were, but I think as a group, they were. They didn't understand this point very well, and um, and that's been. I've been vindicated many times over for for, for my perspective. So, uh, you know. I, I will say to everybody that if you're going to take a position which you feel is grounded in your own authenticity, just remember that sometimes somebody's not going to like it and they will push back, yeah. you know, and and your authenticity, authenticity is the most important thing. I mean, don't give it up. Don't give it up. Yeah. Don't let people don't thing. let people bully you. Don't let people give you a hard time. You know, Amazing. stand up for yourself. Because if you you know, this is what people people in the hierarchy think this all the time. You know, we're we're the trainers, he's the trainee or she's the trainee, we can just say boo and they'll they'll back down. I actually just yeah. I didn't back down and I I, I remember I, I on two mm. or three occasions I basically went to my training brewing director and said, If anybody speaks to me or treats me poorly again, you know, yeah. you're, you're gonna hear about it and through a much more senior channel. So, you know, mm -hmm. it was, it, I, I ended up having to stand up for myself a lot at that time. 
but yeah, so mm-hmm. so 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 that that is part and parcel of being authentic, I think, to to deal with these problems as well, and um, and just be prepared for that. But it, but it, it always works out in the end. Well, certainly in my, yeah. my experience, it does. No, definitely. So we've covered a lot, and I didn't realize we'd get that deep. And we've, there's so much. <laughs> sorry, yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, it's good. It's <laughs> really good. Um, there were like moments where you're like, okay, this is amazing. You mentioned about your role as a program director and you've also held other leadership positions. Tell us what it means to be a leader and what are kind of the skill sets to be a good leader for other individuals Mm. out there. Um, I think, you know, it's difficult because each leadership role is there and has its own own requirements, shall we say, you know. One of the things, one of the reasons I became the foundation program director was because I wanted to take care of people. Um, I wanted to make sure that people didn't take advantage of them. Uh, not that I'd, I hadn't been taken advantage of in my foundation years at all. I didn't feel that at all. But certainly when I, when I was a senior trainee, I felt that people were abusing the medical hierarchy to their own ends, mm. really, or not to their own ends, really, just to stamp authority and, you know, to beat their chest and say, oh, "I'm the consultant," or you know, blah blah blah. And I just thought this is yeah. nonsense. Mm. I don't like that type of mentality at all. You know, I believe in something called a flattened hierarchy, and it's something that I've learned my yeah. whole time through my quality and safety work in the flattened hierarchy. I mean, I believe in a hierarchy of knowledge. I, I respect people for their knowledge. I, you know, if I say to somebody, "I want you to stop Tazacin," I don't want them to turn around and say no to me. I'm just like, okay, if you're going to say no, why are you saying no? And if you yeah. haven't got yeah, good reason, yeah. don't say no. You know, type of thing. Mm. I don't mind people discussing with me but just don't say no off the bat for no good reason you know it's not like i'm going to go to a surgeon and say can i ask for your expert opinion and just ignore it which happens to microbiologists all the time you know <laughs> yeah. that happens to us all the time yeah. so i believe in a hierarchy of knowledge but i don't believe in a hierarchy of person per se you know so i mm-hmm. tell all my i tell all the junior doctors in my hospital to call me imran not the not that yeah mm-hmm. not the majority of them are able to but but some of them manage it um and i have a very very flattened approach to everything in that sense and i think it really brings out the best in people my personal yeah. opinion so so uh, you know i wanted to take on that leadership role for that for for it, for that particular reason and again mm. i think it's it's mired in um in in treating people as equals you know i mean yeah they're not my children i'm not their dad you know mm. and that would be a slightly weird relationship anyway yeah. you know <laughs> and say. and you know that you know these, these people have some of them have spouses and children i mean you know, I, I just consider everybody to be equal, if I'm honest. And yeah. that may sound slightly uh, alien in, in our in our profession, but that, that really is how I perceive everything. You know, even when I, I, I'm an educational supervisor, so even when I sit down and I, I fill out people's forms, I said, what is this nonsense, man? Like, oh, yeah, David has performed very well. I mean, it's, 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 it's so childish, you know. I'm just like, what is mm. this? I mean, I'm speaking about a colleague, you know, who really, you yeah. know, you know, I mean, this is a professional and I'm talking to them like I'm their teacher or something, you know, like, well done you, you know, for doing this. I mean, yeah. I, I don't like this <laughs> whole mentality. I think it's very, very overly paternalistic ideas. I mean, there's mm. one thing about competencies and other things. That's fine, you know, but to, mm. to justify that, oh, yeah, he's done really well. He did all his adopts and his CBDs and is he a good boy? You know, that is just, I mean, you know, that type yeah. of thing. So, so I mean, I, I, I'm trying, I try to bring a more flattened approach to get people to think outside the box a little mm. uh, and, and to really protect them in some way to, to not let people take advantage. So that was really why I came into that leadership position. The the other leadership position that I really hold is I'm an associate medical director, really yeah. in particular for quality improvement. Uh, but that's the focus of my of that particular role. So, yeah. so that goes without saying. So for me, you know, part of my leadership is making change, authentic change in a way that other mm. people feel connected to it. I think lots of change happens where people just impose change on other people. Like I remember when I used to work in A&E, uh, I worked in A&E while I was doing my micro training. I worked for, for the same period of time, once a week I used to work in ED and i remember mm. i we had a new matron who came she's a really nice person really nice matron you know nice nice lady but you know when new people are like they come in oh this is rubbish we have to change we yeah. have to change and every week when i yeah. come something else had changed Something's you new. know i was like well, where's the fluids and why can i not find the bionectors and why can i find you know because oh because the matron has changed it and i was like oh, okay that's very good if she thinks it's a problem but you know this yeah. consultation is useful to 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 engage the stakeholder to understand what they're thinking so so I mean, like, like I said, I come from a very sort of, uh, you know, uh, long line of doing quality improvement and, and have been taught by 
you know experts in the field so you know i know what good quality improvement looks like and it really is about engaging the whole system in the whole process so i really want to bring that to my role and and make sure that people feel connected to it not not in a not in a top-down way in a way that everybody feels this is a mutual sort of activity mm-hmm. so that's no. really what i want to bring to that role and from a leadership no. point yeah. of view hmm. i love your ethos in terms of the flattened hierarchy and i do think that is more encouraging, encourage a certain type of behavior and it's a positive influence on the culture and workforce. Um, you've had multiple roles, multiple leadership roles, foundation director, honorary professorship, your consultant microbiologist yourself. I'm sure lots of people will be curious as to know what your average week looks like. You know, I always kind of, because yeah. there is a bit of curiosity, like, okay, this guy's doing such amazing stuff. He's doing this and that. Does he actually do any work? <laughs> you know, because I impression is a microbiologist and I tell you it is, they're sitting behind the phone and not doing anything until it rings and then you get a bollocking. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But that's because you call them up at 3am asking them to switch yeah. their antibiotics. So, <laughs> tell us what, so ignoring that they're getting the bollocking by a microbiologist, tell us about your average week. What, what, you know, oh my God. I think, I think my average week is defined as what I, I, as I call it, this is what I say to my colleagues. I'm like, I'm running. It's the word yeah. I use the most when I'm at work. I literally <laughs> am running from one thing to the other. Like, you know, like in a day, uh, I might be doing, I might be taking calls in the morning, but I'm never just taking calls, okay? I'll be doing mm. something else at the same time. So, or or like one of my F1s will say, I need to come and talk to you, you know? So I have a policy that if any of my mm. F1s needs to come and talk to me right now, they're coming right now. It doesn't it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I will stop ward rounds or, or stop everything if somebody needs yeah. to come and talk to me. So, so that can happen at, at any given moment as well. Like it did today. Mm. Somebody said, I need to come talk to you. I said, fine, come, come talk, we'll talk. So, so that happens. Uh, then I may have a ward round. Then I may need to go to ITU. Then I may need to be some authorizing. Then I may have a management meeting. I'm also the OPAC clinical lead. So I do the outpatient antibiotic service. Mm. So I have to, you know, so, so my OPAC nurse and, and my, my F1 that I had last time, you know, they'll come and sit down and talk for half an hour about the patients that we have in the service. So I have to somehow just fit it all in somewhere. And, yeah. you know, uh, it's really funny. I was um, recently appointed to the Royal College's digital pathology program, which is a really mm. interesting thing. But I remember I was on a phone call with the medical director and she and I sort of said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've just been appointed to this thing. And what we can do is we can get a fellow to come and help with this bit of it. Yeah. And she just stopped the whole conversation. She goes, did you just take on something else? It's like, yeah. oh, I said, I'm in trouble now. I said, <clears throat> and she goes, we're going to talk, aren't we? And I was like, OK, <laughs> so I went to I went to our office and, you know, uh, I must say and I must give a shout out to to, to Nena Rasuji, who's our medical director, consultant hematologist. And, you know, she is one of the most remarkable women I have ever worked with in healthcare. I mean, yeah. if anybody has a chance to work with her, please do. I mean, I nominated her for sort of Businesswoman of the Year Award. She is just phenomenal. Anyway, I went and sat down with her and she goes, tell me what you're doing. And I said, <laughs> well, I'm doing a few things. And she started listing everything that I'm doing. She knows better than me what I'm doing. So she said, you're doing this, 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 this. And she goes, where is the time, you know? And I was like, come on, man. I said, you know, I said, she's got four kids, you know, and bless her, she's mm. a single mother and she's the medical director and she has all different positions in southwest london and i was like you're, you know this is like the pot calling the kettle black you know you're saying this to yeah. me i said you're not much but yeah it's 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 frantic you know I, I must say that i'm just you know even when i come home from work you know whether it's you know clinical entrepreneur program code med um you know whatever so I'm, i write my so i'm still writing my own software you know whatever i'm doing i'm still always doing something i usually go to sleep at about one half one every day you know that's really what my day is mm. like I want, um, yeah sorry you mentioned yeah and it's a key point and it's despite you doing 101 things always running around do you still enjoy it are you still happy in what you're doing because sometimes you get caught up in it all and you can't reflect and be like do you know what take a step back i, I really love what i'm doing yeah it's a good question i i do love what i do i, I do love what i the roles i have but what i will say is that when i'm not able to do them the way that i would like to that causes me anxiety Let's just put it that way. Mm. So, you know, I, I manage all the clinical bits like I'm supposed to, but there's a bit beyond the clinical bit, which is the strategy, you know. So mm. uh, as, as, as the lead for antimicrobial stewardship and my trust, you know, there's certain things that I have to look look for in the future, you know, which mm. I don't get to do that as much as I used to when I didn't have so many roles. So it's not that I don't mm. enjoy it. I still love my job. Uh, I still think it's great. But sometimes I worry about how well I'm performing at it in terms of the holistic sense so that does bother me yeah, sometimes yeah. yeah it does yeah but i wouldn't give any of it up 
yeah, I kind of knew. I, I kind of knew. It's like you, you do it, but you'll never give anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, just I'm conscious of time. Yeah. Um, and I would kept you busy. The last thing, and you, you touched upon it. In addition to all the things you're doing, this is the new thing that kind of flagged up on my radar was CodeMed, yep. NHS Clinic Entrepreneurship. Yep. You're a co-founder. There's this trend towards clinicians becoming coders or software engineers, or at least having a best understanding of the tech world. Yeah. Um, you you're poised in a very advantageous position. Tell us about CodeMed, why you founded it, and what's your vision for it. Yeah. Thank you. That's a, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think. Uh, Basically, it sort of started quite by accident. In my in my annual appraisal, one of the ED consultants, who's my appraiser, he sort of, I mean, obviously, not all consultants know each other very well, and especially the ED consultants because they live a bit separately to the rest of us. But um, he sort of said, wow, you do all this coding and tech stuff. And, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, And he goes, well, why, have you ever considered teaching it? And this was back in 2017, he said this to me. And I was like... I, I never thought about it, but now that you mention it, it's not a bad idea, actually. So mm. so what I did was, uh, after that, I basically started offering coding lessons for free in my trust. I would teach once a week. I advertise it to everybody. And I usually get between 15 and 20 people wanting to do it and about five people remaining after week five or six, you know, because <laughs> it's, 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 quite, it's, quite, it's quite heavy. Um, but, um, yeah, so... Uh, I, I, my first cohort, I, uh, two of my first students were Aaron and Joe, who you might have, you've probably seen them on, on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, they're the co-founders mm. of... They're co-founders of CodeMed, exactly. So I, I basically yeah. taught them coding right at the beginning. And they have by far been the two best students, by far, like no comparison. I mean, now there's some actually... Mm. Yeah. In this current cohort, there's actually some very good ones. But, uh, you know, they they really took to it quite naturally and you know, started developing their own software afterwards. I mean, they were always engaged. It's not like they sort mm. of came to the lesson and didn't do any work and didn't bother practicing. They were really quite well engaged. And, you know, after about a year or two, they were producing their own software. I mean, Aaron, both of them, I mean, Joe's That's produced amazing. the ILS software mm. and Aaron's gone on to Sim, Sim EPRs, you know, accelerators, you know, Department of Health. I mean, you know, as an F3, he's done masses. Yeah, the time. I saw his credentials and I was like, yeah. are you sure we're in the same stage of training? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Aaron is, Aaron is, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty, pretty hard going, but Aaron just blows me out of the water and it's, and, and, and so mm. does Joe. But Joe, Joe, like me, tries to take a more holistic approach. Aaron's just like yeah. full throttle, like I'm going to do it. So, um, so basically, uh, I think it was last year or maybe at the beginning of this year, I sort of, started getting more requests from other people to to do this. And I thought, well, you know, now that we're moving to completely online, because I used to do these face-to-face, -face, I said, why don't we just open it up to other people? Mm. Now, the thing was that um, one of the things I found is that lots of people, because I've always taught this for free, um, people tend not to not to take it seriously. There are one or two people who take it very seriously, but lots of people don't. They're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Imran, I can't come yeah. this week. Or, you know, I didn't do my homework or stuff like that. And you just think, yeah, come on, man, you're wasting your own time. And actually, you're wasting mine as well. Because, you know, I mean, whilst it doesn't necessarily affect me in that sense, because I'm still teaching people, but, you know, you're still taking my time and for free. And, you know, and you're not doing anything with it. At least do something with it. So then mm. what, what I did was I said, because I realized that teaching lots of people was going to be difficult for me. So I said to Aaron and Joe, why don't we do this together? And to be fair, they'd been teaching with me for free from, from previous cohorts. Mm. So I said, why don't, we why don't we turn this into something bigger? And we'd always sort of loosely called our group Code Med. I just called it Code Med. You know, it was mm. just... I like the name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> name so, so then we formalized it into a company and, um, and we... Um, yeah, we basically offered it as as a paid course now, and mm. uh, it has been enlightening to see what's happened. When people pay, <laughs> the level of interest changes dramatically. Yeah. <laughs> everybody <laughs> attends. I mean, other than when they're on call, everybody attends. Mm. They do all their their, their their homework. They ask extra questions. Sometimes, you know, we have one to one sessions outside of the class, which we offer. You know, so it's it's really you know it's it's really nice to have people who are so engaged and really Absolutely. wanting to produce things. So you know, we we, we thought this is great. So. And I think it's probably enjoyable for you guys as well. Just see people a bit more engaged. Yeah. Like the intention is to learn um, and they're invested into heavily because I'm sure you're a teacher and, and, the, and the last and worst thing you want to see is people not engaging or they're not kind of taking the material. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I must say we, we get, it's, it's so weird. It's so geeky, but the three of us get so excited <laughs> when one of our, so we've, we've, we're all mentors to every person, but we have groups uh, of our own. So if one of, if one of our sort of, uh, one of our, uh, 
people in our group, they send us like a picture of what they've done or their code. We message it to each other rather geekily and say, isn't this awesome? Isn't this awesome? And we sort of geek out on the fact that other people look at it. But it's, it's so nice to see other people sort of developing their own stuff and We're gonna have to taking join. it forward. Yeah. So, so it's, it's yeah. been really good. So so largely, you know, there's that part of it, which is that that part of CodeMed. But the other part of it is obviously that we write our own software. So I'm writing uh, two or three pieces at the moment. Aaron's still finishing CMEPR and, and um, Joe's helping me with uh, with with another piece so we're, we're still producing our own stuff as well which is important and that's really Amazing. where the clinical nhs clinical entrepreneur bit fits in because we really i mean code made it's not our nhs clinical entrepreneur thing yeah that's not really the, the nhs clinical entrepreneur thing that's we really aaron applied with cmepr and i applied with uh, another idea which okay. is, is is morphing and changing as we speak so so as, we'll see what i had as is with. the nature of these things for the yeah. nature for the nature of the things i haven't quite decided exactly what i'm okay. going to do so and but it's no. it's been really interesting seeing it so i think the future for for code med and what we want to do is we want to really produce a platform which allows people to take full advantage of the possibilities of coding and to, mm. to realize that part of it. And obviously we start off with teaching people Java. And the reason that we do that is firstly, it's the language that we know the best and it's the one that we're most comfortable with. Uh, yeah. I mean, we could easily teach in something like Python or something else, but the, the point is that you teach, yeah. you teach everybody the principles of coding because largely these languages are all the same and they're not that much different in terms of just the no, syntax yeah. changes, but the actual mechanisms are the same. So, um, um, so yeah, so largely that's 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 one sort of pillar of it. The other one is producing our own software. But the third pillar, which is we're setting up something called the CodeMed Academy, is taking our delegates forward. And this this will this will all be for um, this will all be for for free. You know what we want to do is we want to take people's ideas and get them to the next level with their ideas. So almost like the clinical entrepreneur scheme, but not quite in the same league obviously yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't have tony's, tony's contacts but uh yeah you know in that sense but we want <laughs> we want to help people because we know we've been there we produce software ourselves so we know some of the pitfalls and stuff and yeah. and stuff actually that we're learning on the clinical, uh, clinical entrepreneur scheme you know we can we can bring some of that and help people as well so we really want to you know engage people and and, and get tech as a as, as a as a substance moving you know in a way that it probably hasn't before and i think that no. you know what we offer in some ways uh, I mean, there's lots of people out there. So I know you've had Josh, and Josh is such an amazing guy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he, he's a one he's a one man army that guy is, and I've you know, is literally a one man army, and I've you know, he's he's awesome, and and you know, we we even though we've only we, we've had one, one video call, and but we we obviously talk on Twitter a lot, but um. I think what we want to do is, and, and somebody highlighted on Twitter really well today, somebody from America, he sort of said to Josh, that one thing I find quite difficult is sort of trying to figure out how to start and what resources to use and what to do. And what we've done is we've compiled that into a really neat course for 12 weeks where we give you all the resources. You have one-to-one -one mentoring all the time. You know, we give you infographics. Everything's medically based. So we're really trying to sort of bring that all together. I think, yeah. I think what you're doing is great. Mm. I think, and the beauty of it is, is clinician-centered, clinician-designed by clinicians. So, you know, I'm not going to lie. I did a, a like a four-hour video in Python. I watched 20 minutes. I wrote hello. And then I, I closed the application. I thought, you know what? My skill set and my... I've been offensive. How's it been for me? <laughs> so, um, no, it's lovely to see. It. And the, the difficulty has always been, I want to do something, but I don't know how to do it, how to get started. When I see stuff that goes there, and I'm like, okay, maybe finally we have people out there trying to kind of mm. solve this, this pain point. Um, and I know it's going to be an immense, immense success. Um, and I can just see your kids coming in. So I'm, I'm going to try to wrap it up. But um, it's been a massive, massive pleasure. No, thank you. Um, if there is any advice in game, you know, mm. you're, you're, you're seen as you are, you've kind of gone through different phases of training, your co-founder, uh, what advice would you give, yeah. you know, if it's anything, if it's anything in the world? Uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a few things. One, obviously, is be authentic. The other thing is something that Stella said to me once, which I, you know, people will argue with this point, but I find it really valuable. She said, when a good opportunity comes your way, grab it. Think about think about how to solve it later, like the logistics of it. And you know what? I live by that. You know, anything, anytime that somebody says to me, are you interested? I was like, yep. And then I'll figure out how I'm going to manage it afterwards, which sort of ends up potentially putting you into a little bit of trouble as well. I'm not going to say that it doesn't, and I'm not going to lie that it, it's, it's always easy. But unless you go for those opportunities that come where you are and try to create them actively, you know, then 
you're never going to achieve the type of momentum that you want for yourself if you're entrepreneurial. If you're not entrepreneurial, that's a little bit different. But if you're entrepreneurial, you know, if somebody says, you know, I, I know lots of people, you know, if you say to them, why don't you do this? And say, ah, you know, I'm a little bit busy and stuff like this, you know, make yourself unbusy. If it's a good opportunity, you know, go for it. If you're entrepreneurial, if that's your thing. So so be authentic, take uh, every opportunity that you can. And I think my last piece of advice is just be kind to everybody. You know, everybody's everybody has their own difficulties, their own life. You know, don't assume to know what where anybody else is. Just treat everybody with kindness and respect. And I think that, that everything else follows after that. No, definitely. I really, really love this episode. It turned out greater than I thought you'd be. I knew it'd be great, <laughs> but it turned into epic. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And it's, <laughs> and, but you, you are such, you know, you made it so easy and such to ask great open questions that actually you can see that you guys are, you guys are professionals at this. And I said, I've listened to some of your episodes and I was like, I I'm ready for this. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> no. We, we do love we, meeting people and I think um, we're great for putting us in a position where we can meet a lot of people yeah. across healthcare and kind of other industries um, and we really do learn yeah. a lot. We learn a lot, yeah. From these conversations, we take away so much more than people think. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we'll definitely kind of put all the description and people have to get started. I think the first cohort has already started, right? So they'll probably have to catch the next cohort. Yeah, that's that's then. on the 26th of May we start the next one. So, yeah. Okay, fine. Right. You might end up seeing us there. Uh, please please do yeah. it'd be great to see you guys there yeah um but yeah um thank you Imran once again for coming and taking the time out and thank you to our listeners as well a uh, pleasure we'll see you all next week. thank you both